The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. Get up close and personal with some of your favorite male porn stars on One on One with Poppy Chulo. Created by Poppy Chulo, One on One showcases exclusive interviews with the adult industry's most popular male performers. Here's your host, Poppy Chulo. Welcome to One on One with Poppy Chulo. Today is Sunday, May 17th, 2015. Listeners, please welcome multiple award-winning fan favorite, adult industry veteran performer, director, and entrepreneur, Mr. Marcus. Welcome to the show, Mr. Marcus. Hey, man. How you doing? Fantastic, man. It's been a long time coming. I'm so glad that we finally have you on the station for an in-depth interview. Uh, you know, I, I've seen your name around. I, I you know, I, I, I'm aware of who you are, and I, this is the first time we actually had to talk. <laughs> it's good. Absolutely, so, man. So it's good. What's up? You've had an incredible career, man. So it's tr- truly an honor and a privilege to get the chance to pick your brain about the industry as a whole. And uh, let's dive into the interview because I'm sure the listeners that are tuning in are dying to know more about Mr. Marcus and his life. So typically I like to start off these one-on-one interviews by getting stats out the way because I'm sure that the majority of the listeners and your fans out there, they haven't had the chance to see you in person. They only get to see you and the various scenes that you've done and now they can see on different types of screens, not only the TV, but the computer and the mobile devices. So let's get to know some of your physical stats. What's your height and weight? Um, five, eight, like two, ten right now. Changes. What's your ethnicity? Uh, I'm black. African American, I guess it's the political word. What's your zodiac sign? Virgo. And I'm left handed. Just, you know. Just because I like saying that. And how old are you? Uh, I'll be 45 this year. That's what's up, man. Left-handed 45-year-old. Uh, <laughs> almost. <Blackmail>. Yes. <laughs> so let's get to know the man behind the performer. Where are you originally from, Mr. Marcus? Uh, born and raised in Pomona, California. And um, I grew up in like in the Inland Empire area. That's Cucamonga, Fontana, Rialto, San Bernardino, Riverside, Claremont, all that area. We awesome. call it we call it the nine oh nine. Mm-hmm. Awesome man. What was life like growing up for you? What were you like as a kid, as a teenager? Um I mean I was you know, I don't know, I was pretty I was a reader. I was a loner until I was about 11, and then my mom had, you know, my, my sister. So, but even then, I was pretty much kind of set in my ways. So, 
I didn't have a, like a large group of friends. I didn't run around with a bunch of people. You know, my mom, we didn't have much money, so and I couldn't run with the in crowd. Uh, I just kind of like just did my own thing. I was a reader. I like reading. And I've always encouraged reading and love music. I did sports. I played football for a little while, but I didn't stick with it. But I started working out when I was about like 16, my sophomore year in high school. Mm-hmm. I just kind of stuck with it throughout my life. And what was life like for you getting into your 20s, pre-industry? Uh, before I got into the porn industry, I was, um, was kind of like wandering around. I mean, I was like, I didn't graduate from high school. I had to go to adult school. Because I, I, didn't, I didn't focus on piano. Uh, I didn't focus on, um, you know, academics. I really, I just didn't have the guidance. So I kind of like just, I had like odd jobs, you know. I worked as a furniture delivery. I used to deliver furniture across the social factor. And then I, um, and then I went to, um, I worked in a warehouse for a little while, forklift driver. I did that for a while. And um, then I discovered the porn industry. We're going to talk about that transition in a second, but first I want to ask, how long in total have you been in the industry? Total, now it's 21 years. Wow, man, congratulations. Yeah, it's been a long, long road. (laughs) Yeah, there aren't that many that can say that, so major props on... uh, having such an incredible career in the industry. Thank you. You're welcome. So let's talk about that transition. So you were doing odd jobs here and there, and then all of a sudden you're in the adult industry. How did that transition happen? How did you get in the business? I was, um, I don't know. I was, I was, I was reading this magazine. I was always looking at, I was always going to the adult bookstore, number one. Well, I was always going to the bookstore, and then they always had the adult session. And I, I always gravitated. I was fascinated by nude women and sex. I was, you know, I was. I think I was. I was already. I was. I wasn't promiscuous. I had like a few girlfriends, but I wasn't like the, some sex scene or anything. I just was fascinated by that there was a there was a something out there that that was built around sex. And um, I remember LA Express was like this cheap, it was like 25 cents and you get this little, you get this uh, newsletter that was like a classified and it always looked for adult models and and it talked about the adult industry in a way where it was like talking about parties and events and, you know, award shows and they, t- they talked about the, the AVN awards. And I remember the date, and I remember that it was in Las Vegas, and that, and I remember reading that it was connected with the um, Consumer Electronics Show and uh, CES. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine, he was a, a radio, he used to install car stereos. So he was always interested in electronics and stuff. So he was already going to go because he wanted to look at what, what things were coming down the pipeline. And I just hitched a ride with him. I told him I'd give him gas money if I could go with him. And we got there, I registered, you know, it wasn't that much, like 35 bucks or something. I got a pass. I asked them where the adult convention was at. They told me it was at the Sahara. And he went to the electronics, and I went right over to the Sahara. 
And when I got over to the Sahara, I'm walking through the lobby. I remember seeing like Max Hardcore. I remember seeing girls taking pictures. And I just saw this little frenzy of activity. And, you know, it was upstairs in this convention ballroom or whatever. Uh, maybe it was a ballroom. And so you had to take an escalator to go up that ballroom, up to the ballroom. And as I'm going up the escalator, Ron Hightower, who came up, turned out to be Ron Hightower and Heather Lee. I didn't know who they were. Heather Lee was like, are you in the business? Because she looked at me and she's like, are you in the business? And I was like, no. And she said, do you want to be in the business? And I was like, yeah. And she was all like, honey, you should give him your card. You know, he'd be great for the business. And he was like, yeah, you're right. Here's my card. Give me a call when you get back to L.A. And that happened on that escalator. Just like that. And wow. I had I had his business card. I get into the convention. I'm walking around. I see Chasey Lane, who at the time was Vivid's contract girl, one of the first girls in porn. And I thought, wow, I, I would like to be with her. You know, she had those captivating eyes, great body. And, you know, and here I was meeting her. And then I saw Julian St. Jocks, you know, and I knew who he was from the porn. You know, I'd seen a few pictures with him in it. And I saw Janet Jackley, and I was like, wow, you know. I'm like, man, I'm fans of these people. And then Heather Lee comes up to me, and she says, here's my number, call me. And she wrote her number down on a little piece of paper. And, and it... And I was like, and I, you know, I kind of like, I've had girls flirt with me and pick up on me before, you know, and I didn't think nothing of it, but I knew that I wanted to talk to her further. And I ended up calling her when I got back to LA first before I called Ron and I hung out with her and we used to fuck like crazy. I'd go to her house, she had a, she had a nice little spot in Palms next to uh, Venice and um, I would go over there and we we fucking humped and then one day she called me and says, Do you wanna like do you wanna come and do a scene with me? And I was like, Sure. She says gonna be another guy in a scene and um, you know, are you cool with that? And I'm like, Yeah, no problem And I and it was in Palm Springs and I remember it was like maybe a few days later I was out in Palm Springs and I get there and she's taking all her pretty girl pictures and the director's name was Roy Alexander and um Sean Michael shows up. And then Mark Wallace shows up. And then Peter North shows up, laughs. And uh, Peter's like, yo, you guys want to smoke? And and Sean's like, yep. And Mark's like, good, let's go. So we went, we got in the car. I remember sitting in the back seat with Sean Michaels. And in the front seat was Mark Wallace and Peter North. And we were smoking a joint. And that was like my first, that, here I was. That, that was like my initiation. Or I took it as my initiation. But that was it. That's where it started for me. And uh, me and Sean have been friends ever since. Um, you know, me and Heather Lee stayed in contact for like a very long time after that. But, you know, obviously a lot of women come and go. But, you know, Sean always stuck around. Sean taught me a lot of stuff about the business, to be honest with you. So I've always had respect for him. Wow, that's quite a story, man. That's certainly right place, right time. Everything, man. It's almost everything lined up for Mr. Marcus to be able to enter the industry. <laughs> yeah, man. So before yeah. that moment, like, had you at all thought about doing porn? Was something that porn had, had crossed your mind? Like, I, I did. I wasn't trying to get into porn. I was trying to. I wanted to get into the magazine. Mm -hmm. You got to realize I wasn't watching porn movies like that. I was looking at magazines. So all I, all I knew was that there was a 
there was a model there was a model aspect to it and that and that was something that I wanted to do I wanted to be photographed having sex with beautiful women that was my that was my main and only goal <laughs> that was it the video part kind of came with it and it took I had to adjust to that part but you know honestly it was just about the magazine Let's talk about that first day on set. What was that experience like for you? I know that you mentioned briefly sort of like what it was like leading up into the scene, but what was it like, you know, doing a scene for the first time, being filmed? Were you nervous, excited, scared? What was going on in your mind the first time that you were on set doing a scene? Well, I, I, you know, the, 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 the saying that ignorance is bliss is true because I didn't really know what was going on. I just knew that I was on set with a girl that I was very confident in fucking, I believe. And the director, Roy, was very easygoing. And everybody there, you know, from the joint to, to the whole situation was just super cool. So they made it very easy and relaxed. And Roy, what he likes to do is shoot all of the pictures first, all the hardcore, all the blowjobs, the fucking, he loves to shoot that. And so he said, you know, we're going to shoot all the pictures first. So I was hard for that entire thing. You know, I had an erect penis through the entire shoot. Then I remember at the end of this shoot, he says, do you want to come? And because we're going to do video and we can give you some time. To, you know, we got to relight everything and stuff. But if you want to go ahead and come, you can and, you know, and by the time we get ready for video, you'll be ready again, right? I'm like, yeah, 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 no problem. I can, I can come. Sean said, nah, I'll wait. So I went over there. I busted a nut. Big old nut. And I was all proud and I was all happy and stuff. And, you know, and about 15 minutes later, he was like, okay, we're going to do video now. And she comes over to give me head. And I really can't get it hard. You know, I've already, like, spent, you know, my load. I, my my enthusiasm went out with my cum shot, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I came, and, you know, I had already came, so she was just trying really, really hard to give me hard. And I remember there was a woman on the set, her name was Kim Chambers. And Kim was, you know, pretty little blonde girl, and she pulled me into this room. She said, hey, I'll give you head, and, you know. She sucked my dick for, like, 10 minutes. I still couldn't get hard. I didn't know any of the tricks or the techniques that I know now. <laughs> I was, I was, like, I was, this had never, ever, ever, ever happened to me before. So I was like, I didn't know what the hell was going on. And finally I come out of the room and Roy and everybody's like, well, we got to keep going. We got Shawn Michaels, Sean, you know, we're going to make this, uh, we're going to make this just between Sean and Heather. You know, Marcus go sit in the corner. I don't even think my name was Marcus at the time. I don't think I even had a stage name. He just told me to go sit down and act like I'm working out. And then when they started, it was, in a, in a, it was like a gym setting. So after the, we were, I was supposed to leave while they started having sex. <laughs> so you'll see me on the box cover of that movie. But if you watch the movie, I'm not in it. <laughs> That's the irony. So my first movie, I really wasn't even in it. <laughs> wow, man. That's crazy. That's an interesting story, man. Wow, so, okay. Let's talk about then your reel first. What was it like the first time that you actually were doing, like, hardcore 
a hardcore scene, yeah, actually having sex on film. The first scene scene was with a girl by the name of Eva Flowers. And uh, Eva Flowers, Ron Hightower, I, I called Ron. And I told Ron, you know, I'm, I'm interested. And he says, okay, tell you what, do you have a girl that you that you want to work with? And I was living with this girl at the time, and I was like, yeah, I do have a girl. And I asked her, I said, do you want to go make a movie with me? And she was a little freak, so she said, yeah, yeah, let's go do it. So we drove all the way up to Hollywood. We got there. He was in the middle of filming the scene, so Ron told us to go wait in this room. So while me and her was in that room waiting, she got really nervous and said, no, I don't want to do it. So I come out of the room, I'm like, Ron, she's got cold feet. She doesn't want to do it. So Ron, being the, the gentleman that he is, says, no problem. It's okay, you know. You know, we'll try it, you know. I'll talk to you later. So me and her, we drove home. He called me about two days later and says, yo, do you want to come in and do another, do you want to give it a shot? I'm like, hell yeah. So I got a girl for you. I'm like, perfect. I get there at this house. Eva Flower walks in with her boyfriend. And Eva's like this little, cute little brunette. Pretty body, young looking. Everything that I wanted in my first time. And I remember when her boyfriend left, it was just me and her. And we ended up fucking... We had such the most, it was like the most awesomeness time. And I, I came and, and Ron was like, okay, I'll hire you, you know, are you busy next week? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm available. So he was like, he hired me. I worked for that guy for about two, three times a week for almost five, five or six months. Just shooting. And that's really where I got my reputation from. That's pretty much where I got other people interested in me. Was working for Ron so consistently. And we had a really good rapport, you know, and it all came from meeting them on that escalator. It was meant to be, man. Yeah. How did you come up with your porn name, Mr. Marcus? Um, to be honest with you, I had, I had a, an alias, and um, his first name was Marcus. Because I had an alias because I kept getting pulled over by the cops. I kept having legal problems, so I got an alias, and... I my first original name was Marcus Love, you know. I I don't know what it is about that name Love, and then I um I don't know. I was driving one day, and I remember the director saying, you know, that Marcus Love was kind of cheesy. He'd come out with something a lot more strong because you're a big strong dude. And I don't know what it was, but I was driving, leaving that set, and I was like. Marcus, Marcus, this, this, and I said, what about something before Marcus, who can go before, and then Mr. Marcus, and, and Mr. Marcus stuck, and it stuck, and when I showed up on the set, you know, the next day, I was like, you know, my, my stage name is Mr. Marcus. <laughs> and a porn star was born. And a porn star was born. <laughs> yeah, man. What do you enjoy most about starring in porn scenes? I think the diversity of I thought the diversity was always the best thing because you never fuck the same girls twice I mean you will eventually but you were always going to meet a new group of people exploring their sexuality you know and once I became really professional at it I had a lot of people's first times you know I was their first time and so it kind of like after we lived those things that I liked about my first time through them you know that whole nervousness, that whole, like, you know, it's going to be okay, that whole satisfaction after you come, the whole, like, yo, I want to do this again, you know, can I work with you again? 
all of those things, you know, just being real polite and respectful to each other and, and then having this, and then having to, you know, not to apologize to fucking each other like crazy, you know what I mean? Like, to, to enjoy that. That's what I like. <laughs> the enjoyment that comes from, like, you know, having all that crazy ass stuff. Let's talk about sort of like the yin and the yang about being on set. When you're on set, what turns you on the most and what turns you off the most? Um, you know what turns me on? Probably, um, just, I, 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 a, sex, a sexual confidence you really can't put your finger on. It's not arrogant. It's not not something that's you know cocky it's it's someone that's comfortable comfortable in their sexuality but not cock, cock, cocky and um what turns me off is just a really bad attitude like they're you know most what i what i start to understand now most bad attitudes are trying to cover up something you know insecurity um just an inability Maybe they're not taking the time to comprehend a situation or to work it through, or maybe there's some past issues. That's the way I look at negativity and a, and a bad attitude. Those things kind of really just rub me the wrong way. Like, I can't stand it. You know, I can't stand a bad attitude. Anything, any, anything or any person that's shutting down something before they even try it or, or even attempt to do it, that... That drives me crazy. You've been featured in several incredible productions and in different styles of scenes, from features to gonzo to more reality-based type of productions to even like the vignette-style productions where maybe there's like a little skit in the beginning and then, you know, that leads into the full-on sex. My question for you is... In preparing for a scene, do you prepare yourself mentally in different ways depending on the type of scene that you have to shoot? You know, as far as if there's going to be a little bit of acting or if it's going to be more improvisational or if it's just going to be straightforward sex? Um, you're, no, you're right. I do. I, I, I approach everything differently. I think, um, you know, the one thing I liked about my career was it... it it, it was diverse, you know. I could show up and do a gonzo scene. I can go through a feature. I like to act. I love, I love bringing emotion into the into the scene. I like making the scene as realistic as possible. Um, you know, I hated the. You know, sometimes I, I, I'll get into the whole porn cliche and and do the whole wooden acting thing. But I, but that's me trying to make fun of it. Um, I, I prefer more interview style. Like sit down, talk to the girl, and then start to get into a whole freakiness, whole, you know, the whole reason why we're there to have sex. But, but going to each situation, I try to figure out who's the director, who am I working with, where's the, what environment are we going to be in, and then I start to try to like, you know, prepare my mind to work under those conditions, and then I go from there. Good answer, man. I like that answer. Mm hmm. I would say about, I don't know, maybe maybe you might have a different percentage, but I think going through your history and just trying to remember all of the productions that you've been in, I would say that the work that you've done is 
maybe 50-50, 50-50 as in 50% feature type of acting type of stuff and like 50% Gonzo. Or maybe Gonzo has like a slight edge, maybe like 60-40. Yeah, I, I, you know, I never looked at the percentage of it, but I, I, I do, I like, I like to be able to do both. You know, I'd rather have a healthy I'd rather have a healthy plate of, you know, Gonzo. And I, and every once I I like it when I'm needed. You know, that's I like when we 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 got we wanted you specifically for this. That is awesome. Um, you know, and as I got more confident as a performer, because I wasn't always confident. I mean, I've I've been flown into to I've been flown all the way, you know, overseas. And I failed miserably. There's nothing worse than flying into a country you've never been before and not being able to get a, and not being able to perform as a performer. But you know, once once I learned how to like, you know, make those adjustments because you got I tell everyone it, it's all a, you got you have to make adjustments, you know, and and you'll find that if you take a if you pause right if you just take a step back if you just take in your situation and realize that, you know, you've done this before, you know, you find what works, you know, and then you start to apply those, those techniques, you'll get your confidence, you'll get your footing back, you'll get your swag back, and then you can proceed to go forward and perform and get the job done. And, um, but I had to learn that, like, through failures, I had to learn that through mistakes, I had to learn that through experience, you know what I mean? And I think being on different sets and working with different people helped develop those those skills. You mentioned internationally. So let's talk a little mm -hmm. bit about uh, your work internationally. Where has porn taken you across the globe? Um, it's taken me to where I went to um, Denmark. I filmed in Germany. I filmed in Prague, of course. I filmed in Cannes. I filmed in um, Brazil, South America. I filmed in Canada. I filmed in Japan. Um, where else have I filmed? Sweden. Um, Germany, of course. Amsterdam. I mean, I, there's a lot more places I wish I could go. <laughs> Can't wait to go, but yeah, that's where it's taking me. Nice, man. There aren't that many performers out there that can say that they've been all over the place to, to shoot across the world and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I got lucky. Yeah, man. Incredible career. Right now, I want to break a porn scene down. In a scene, which do you enjoy the most? Oral Vag or anal? Or in in that in, in order, <laughs> um, oral probably first because I just love getting hit, and then vag, uh, and then anal. Last, depending on but each one of them, it depends on the girl. It depends on how deserving or how sexy or how bad I want to do those things. You know, that has a lot to do with it. In and then how fast wants me to do those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a scene, what's your favorite sexual position, and does that differ from your favorite position off camera? Yeah, Doggy's pretty much been 
consistent throughout my lifetime. Yeah, it hasn't changed. And of course, we all know how a scene ends with the pop shots. In a scene, where is your favorite place to shoot your load? I like clean pods, you know See, if I can do it with a girl that's not going to get pregnant, then I do it all the time. <laughs> Describe your fuck style. Mm, slow burn. You know, and then, and then probably intense smoldering. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, I mean, you've been in all different types of productions. You've been in different scene types as well, ranging from one-on-ones to threesomes to group-style sex. In your opinion, as a veteran performer in the game, which type of scene is easier to perform in and which is more difficult to perform in? One-on-ones, threesomes, and uh, group-style sex. Well, you know, it's weird, too, because, you know, I, I see the good and the bad in all of those. I mean, the good and the bad in the three-way would probably be, like, you don't have to work as hard. Um, meaning, you know, you're not the, you're not solely responsible for carrying a scene. But but if there's multiple people in there, you know, you don't, you can't, you can't maintain your level of interest as, you know, sexually. You have to, like, pause and let other people do their thing and stay off to the side. You're putting it, you know, I, I stick my dick in her mouth, you know, just to be doing something, but it doesn't mean I enjoy it because she's not really focused on sucking my dick. She can fuck. So, one-on-ones, you know, are a lot more fun because you're with that girl and you get to do what you want to do, but at the same time, you're also kind of like, um, you know, you're responsible for the scene, but at the same time, you have no interference from no one. It's just you and her, so you, that connection is is direct. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I I like I've always liked one on ones. Like I said, interview style one on ones are probably my favorite scene to shoot. Throughout your career in the industry, you've done an obscene amount of scenes. In those scenes, who have been some of your most favorite performers to work with? Sylvia Saint, just because me and her had a strange, a strong connection. Um, Charmaine Star, yeah, Charmaine Star, because she was like just, she's still very exotic and very selective and doesn't even really make porn anymore. In fact, I got to work with her through her heydays. Still, some things that I, I relish. Um, who was another one? Um, I like um, Aurora, uh, Adriana Luna. I, I just because Spanish and her background, you know, she's like, and she's so sexually, un, you know, willing to please. Like she's so willing to please sexually. I like that. I like that part about her. Um, I like Janet Jackson because she was intense and really responsive. Heather Heather Hunter was always a favorite of mine because um, she just had, she's like a new age woman, very smart, very creative, very in control, you know, very smart, very popular. Um, yeah, you and Heather, you and Heather and you and Sylvia, your scenes were electric. Yeah, there was a lot of, there was, I mean, these are, those two women specific I dated off him. So, 
you know, there was a lot of, there was like a real genuine connection with those two. Yeah. Now that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense because the chemistry was very real. Yeah. Yeah, two very pretty girls and, and at their sexual, you know, peaks. Good. <laughs> yeah, man. Good choices. Right place, right time. Exactly, man. Throughout your career, you've been featured many times on the cover of uh, various productions, whether they're features or gonzo titles. And typically the cover is a spot that's designated for the female talent. So my question for you is, what was it like the first time that you saw yourself on the cover of a production? He... I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, you know, I I hope that I, I what I hope was that it sold <laughs> sold more copies. You know, I hope that I contributed to you know that particular movie selling. I hope that I was, you know, it's just one you want to be, you know, you want to be, you want to be liked and accepted. You know, even in porn stars do all the time. And I think that was for me. It was just like that was good sign that I was accepted. But I also hope that. I didn't hurt nobody's production. I hope I helped. <laughs> yeah, and that's still true to this day. I'm still one of those guys that kind of like, I don't want to hurt anybody's situation. I want to try to make this situation better. After being featured in and uh, starring in uh, many productions, you started to direct and produce your own content. What brought on the urge to get behind the camera and to start directing productions? Well, you know, I, I I like movies, and I always used to watch the camera angle, the editing, the direction, the acting, the dialogue, the lighting, you know, the storytelling. And I always thought that I was lacking in porn. You know, I thought there was a lot of directors that just took the easy way. And uh, I always wanted to do something that was a little more creative. And so I figured the way to do that was to, to get behind the camera to direct I always thought when a director would tell me what to do I would always like try to improve on that saying well what if we do it like this and then the camera guy was like how do we get that angle I'd be like well how about you put the camera over there and then when the lighting would be interfering with the sex I'd be like well how about if we change the position so those directing instincts kind of already were there they just they would take over naturally you know Mm -hmm. so I just kind of like developed that and wanted to do more of it I'm a, and I think I'm a, I, I, I'm more of a leader than a follower, and I think a good director is, is, is what you need on set to kind of lead everybody through the motions to get the mm-hmm. day complete, and I feel pretty confident I can do that. Absolutely, man. You've directed some really great productions. Yeah, but I, I don't think I, I don't think I ever really got to where I wanted to be directing-wise. I, I, because I think you need to build up a, a large body of work to be really a good director. I think you need to... That's something that you got to constantly do, you know, because you got to incorporate technology. You got to incorporate your, you know, your crew's got to to be have to improve on whatever direction you're trying to take it in, and your performers have got to trust you completely mm-hmm. that you know what you're doing. And I think that comes over time. It doesn't, you know, you can do a few projects here and there, but I think directing is just one of those things you got to do consistently. That's very true, man. In my opinion, I think a performer has kind of made it when uh, 
they have a production that includes their name in the production. And you had a title that that was actually one of... uh, It wasn't necessarily one of the first things that you directed, but it was certainly in the early stages of your directing. Mr. Marcus's Neighborhood, which uh, was released Mm -hmm. through Vivid. Uh, How did that production come about? Was that something that you approached Vivid for? Was that something that Vivid approached you? And, uh, like, can you sort of share with the listeners a bit of uh, how that series came about? Um, Peter Reynolds. Peter Reynolds was a sales guy for, I can't think of the damn name of that company. Um, man, I can't think of the name of the company. I wish I could. We did a thing called Mr. Marcus's Nightlife. And yeah, Nightlife I remember was that like, too, yeah. Yeah, Nightlife was like, you know, like, I I got a thing. I, I'm still that same way. I'm like this guy that loves to be out at the clubs and, and events, you know, parties and shit. And so Mr. Marcus's Nightlife was born out of that. Peter Reynolds, when he went over to Vivid, that was a, that. I think it was a Caballero. Yeah, it was Caballero. Um, exactly. And so Caballero was like, you know, Caballero always showed me love. And then Vivid was like, you know, it's just funny talking to you right now because you got me. I'm going down memory lane. I'm like touching on these things. I'm totally, totally forgot about all this stuff. But as I'm, as I'm, as I'm, <laughs> as I'm reliving it in my mind, it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, man, that's call, what I'm I supposed did. to be doing. Damn it. <laughs> doing a great job by the way thank you uh, uh, but uh, Peter Reynolds I gotta call him and thank him you know Peter Reynolds was mad at me for like the longest time because you know I just never really re- I never really appreciated what he'd done for me and I think he was like you know he brought me over to visit and Mr. Mark's Neighborhood and they always give me these hard challenges they're like we want you to shoot all black and we want it to be anal and I'm like you know this is what 1990 five, six, you know, seven. I mean, there wasn't that many black girls in the business to begin with. Not, and, 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 and there wasn't that many, and there wasn't no black girls that were doing anal. Even to this day, it's still hard to get black girls to do anal. So it's kind of like, okay, I, I agreed to it, and I, I was getting these first-time girls, period. First of all, Mr. Marsh neighborhood had a lot of first-time girls, but on top of that, trying to talk these girls into doing anal was just like, like, um, you know, that was like, a like I was like a miracle worker. I mean, I was like, you know, just trust me, I'm only going to stick it in and we'll, we'll loop the footage because we used to do a lot of looping footage. Um, I didn't really know about a crew. You know, they gave me a budget and they were like, you know, go shoot this movie. So I, I, I spent the money. I had a camera guy and my camera guys changed. I remember I shot a scene, the entire scene, by uh, using um, a regular lamp. I took the lampshade off. And I took the light bulb and I just held it down there by the hardcore part so you could see it. And that and that's what we use for our lighting. It's just stupid shit. I did not know what the fuck I was doing. But 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 then but I also was one of those. I like to shoot outdoors and use natural lighting because then I, I didn't really have to worry about having you know uh, artificial light. And so that's that kind of was born out of that. But Mr. Mark's Neighborhood was Peter Reynolds' idea, and it kind of worked because I discovered um, um, Superhead through that. And, you know, in Superhead, people still talk about her, and she's went on to great things. But, yeah, it came out of, it came out of just, what, what is my life like? My life is like I meet a lot of girls, a lot of new girls. And, you know, and if you, you combine that with 
you know, some notoriety, some money, and the ability, you know, an opportunity to have sex and get paid for it. I, I had a lot of, I worked with a lot of new girls. So that was, that, I don't know. I guess you could, that was, that was pretty groundbreaking at the time because there was nobody else filming all black girls and new black girls and trying to get anal out of them. That's what's up, man. So these productions that you've been in, in particular, the ones that you were directing, much like, as you mentioned, Nightlife, Mr. Marcus's Neighborhood, MrMarcus.com for West Coast Productions, Sex Mr. Marcus Style, and like Mr. Marcus's Crazy Ass Movie. When these productions were created, were these ideas that you had, like, did you pitch sort of like the concept, or were these production companies approaching you, and they were like, we want you to do a, um, you know, a movie that's based on this, you know, this, that, or the other, were you, like, that in-depth in, uh, like, the casting, like, what went on behind the scenes to, like, create these productions that not only had your name on it, but you were directing as well? You know, um, I, I I think I was, it was a combination of things, you know, I had ideas, I still have ideas, you know, I have a million ideas, I got boxes of ideas, so I was never short on ideas, you know, and I, I would look at what the industry is doing, and I, and I knew that as a black performer, you know, there was a lot of things that maybe I thought maybe that had been done by white companies or white performers, but hadn't been done with my blacks. So I just thought, well, I just put a, I'll just put a black twist on things. And, and I think that was kind of new to the industry because the industry was predominantly white and they didn't really have a lot of black performers that were in a, in a producers or a productive or production standpoint. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like just took the lead on that. And the ideas that I came up with were just ideas that I thought I just taking a taking a, an idea and just putting a little twist on it. Um, and everything I came up with was just a reflection of who I am. You know, the nightlife, the neighborhood, um, sex, Mr. Marcus style. I mean, if you watch those movies, they're they're never like in a hotel room and or at a house. You know, for long. You know, eventually I'm out in the car somewhere, or I'm out in the, by the pool. Or I'm, you know, out in the club, which is pretty much how my life has been. So all I did was just put a camera into places where I was already, I was already going, you know. I was already, I was already, I was already living that life. I just brought the camera to it. And that's pretty much been consistent through everything I do. So it was very, you're trying to get sort of like the real, like raw essence of sex. True. You know, I probably got away from that in the last few years, but I think that that was really where I was. I thought, I thought people, I thought this was a reflection of reality. I thought it was, well, I, and I believe it is. I believe that you go to the club, you're you're looking to get hooked up, and I would meet so many girls that were responsive to that, that whole idea and concept of like, hey, let's have a drink. Damn, what you you know, damn, you got me excited. You go to a strip club. I mean, I was in a strip club last night, and I had a girl basically stay up and down she wanted to suck my dick and I was so close to pulling it out and doing it I was so close man 
you know, I, she she literally had her head in my lap and was like, I just want to suck your dick so bad. You got me so wet. And now, and I and I know from experience that when a girl says all these things, you got a small window to act on it. Because, <laughs> you know, once a woman goes there, you know, she's, she's her body's there. Her mind has, is, is her, her, her mind went there and her body has followed. So you, you, you better respond. And if you do, you'll be, you'll, you'll be like, whew, glad I got that. But if you don't, you'll be regretting it. And you'll be like, damn, I had that. And you'll know it. You'll know the difference. You know it. You'll know it. You'll know it because you'll be thinking about it later. Like, damn, I could have fucked her. Or I should have fucked her. But when that woman feels that, it's, 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 you have a small window to act on that. And I think that that was something I was trying to capture. And I, and I, and I, you know, when you, and when you're doing it in a professional setting like porn, you know the girl's like she knows she's getting paid. She knows that she's committed through the night. She she knows she's committed through the through the production, and that gives you a little bit more leniency, a little more free will, so to speak, to to mm-hmm. create something really organic, something really something really original, something real. You know, because you get to fill out from her like you know when the time is right, we'll film that, we'll get that on tape. You know. And if I was able to achieve that, then that's where I think I was, that's where I shine because, you know, then it wasn't so scripted or so staged that, you know, it felt that way. It was more like you didn't see it coming, then it happened, and then you're glad it did, you know? Good grief. Uh, Mr. Marcus needs like a reality series so that we can see exactly what's going on in Mr. Marcus's life. Yeah. Too hot yeah. for TV. <laughs> yeah, we're working on some right now. You know, I, I don't know what it was. I kind of lost my my way a little bit and um, kind of figuring out how to go about doing things. But yeah, this is definitely. You, I'm thinking that that's what I'm good at. You know, reality, just filming it. And whatever good or bad comes out of it, I'm gonna do my best to make it entertaining. I'm gonna try to make. I'm gonna try to make it at the end of it. Everybody's got a big smile on their face. So sounds like a plan, man. So my next question for you is to describe your shooting style, but I guess would you say that your you know your shooting style is more real, more grounded, more raw, sort of like real sexuality? Um, it's grounded in pervertedness. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, I think the, I think the underlying word through all this stuff has been you know a little bit of a pervert, a little bit of a perv. Like I could see things. I could see a sexual opportunity, you know, and if you and if you create an if you create the environment, they will come, right? So, I think I've always tried to like that's where I tried to like film, like I and I don't really consider myself a good good director. I just I like to perform, I like to act, but I think as a director, I think if you can if you can create that environment consistently, then you're one of the you're one of the better directors. And I think in porn. You know, it's there are a lot of people that just come in and shoot porn and maybe over direct it or whatever, but um, maybe try to do way too much and totally forget about the emotional element that comes along with it. Because at the end of the day, you want this girl. This is what we're doing, right? Unless you're making gay sex or whatever, whatever. So, but I was always doing. You know, I was doing. I'm. You know, women. That's my thing. So, I always. My goal was always to make the women be the star and have a good co-star 
but at the end of it, it was like it was like curved satisfaction was was would mimic the viewer's satisfaction. So if she was satisfied, then I knew the viewer would be satisfied. Mm-hmm. And that viewer could be male or female. But they would understand that she was satisfied. So therefore we'll be satisfied. Then we're satisfied too. That that emotional connection is comes through when you see a woman when a woman's happy and or a man and a woman are both happy then the viewer is happy. Yeah, you can't you can't disregard the the viewer, you know, the one that's mm-hmm. going to be watching. And a lot of times when I shoot those things, I was fully aware. Like me and my editor, when we sit in there, and I and we we and some unexpected shit would happen. That was so funny. And if you really got that sense of humor, if you got that, if you got that way of looking at life, like you know, shit happens, and, and you make the best out of it, and you make lemonade, and you're going to throw raspberries in there, you do, you know. If you got lemons and, and you can find some raspberries along the way, then you make it even better. You just develop those things. And you, may, you may come in there, you know, there's many times I started shooting the scene expecting one thing, these things specifically to happen, just to have some other unexpected things come out of that. And instead of us trying to control it and disregard it or try to, like, you know, dismiss it, we accepted it, embraced it, and developed it. Copy? Absolutely, man. Mm-hmm. You've been in the game for over two decades. Uh, throughout the time that you've been in the industry, are you the type of person that watched your own scenes or films, or are you the type of person that uh, tried not to? Um, I was both. You know, I was both. I I I didn't watch any of my scenes. You know, I'd sit in with the editor for about. 15, 20 minutes, you know, and I'd be like, and I would point out things that I liked about the scene or things that I knew I shot that I didn't see in the scenes, and I'd be like, yo, what happened to that cutaway? What happened to that? I remember we specifically, and then the editor would go, oh, this? And he'd pull it up. He'd like, we only got a few seconds of it. I said, that's all I need, you know? <laughs> so so then he would take it and incorporate it, and then I'd say, okay, cool. Well, that's a great shot of her. Use that. Or I don't like the way that dialogue played off. Do we have anything else? I right, will scratch it all together. Let's put that in there instead. You know, I never really looked at my performances. I knew that editing made my performances look better. I remember scenes that I just, I personally thought were terrible. I just was like, oh, this is so, this, there's no chemistry. There's, I mean, this girl didn't, I wasn't even hard all the way. And I look, I go back and I'll look at the footage and I'll be like, damn, you can, you don't, but if, if I, you know, I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, you know, why ruin it for the viewer? Why why talk about things that you can't even see? You don't even notice. So I just would leave it alone. And I think from that point on, I, I would, like, not watch my scenes. I didn't want to be too critical of what I was doing, you know? I wanted to always enjoy it and, and not think about it. I would think about things that I did, and I would look at the video and say, ah, I don't like the way I did that. I'll make sure I won't do that again. Or those things that I liked, and I said, yeah, I got to do that more often. You know, those things I wanted to make my signature and those things that, I, that I'd rather not do again. But once I figured those things out, I kind of didn't have to watch my scenes. And you got to understand, too, a lot of these scenes that I shot were for other companies. Mm-hmm. And those movies and things that I shot for other people would go on. And, you know, some of these companies, like Vivid, wouldn't put out a movie for almost a year later. So... You know, I wouldn't, I, by that time I had shot so many other scenes, I would forget about it. And 
if I came across the scene, I'd be like, oh, shit, I remember that. Or I'd be like, yeah, I can't remember that. So I think in hindsight, it was probably better. It, it allowed me to last a lot longer because I wasn't so critical of what I was doing. How old were you when you saw a porn scene or a porn film for the very first time? Uh, the first porn I saw saw was probably I was right around around fifteen, sixteen. You know, my parents had the we had the cable box, and it was a little key on it, and my mom always hit the key, and but if you turned to that channel. It would come through, but snowy, right? And that was really my first viewing of porn was watching, you know. But back then, you know, you see some TNA and you see a guy pull his pants down and a girl get on her knees. But you really wouldn't see the dick in the mouth, you know. But you got the, you got, you you got the gist of it. You knew what was going on, you know. And I think that was it. But the magazines were always clear, freeze-framed. You know, there was no blurriness. There was no denying what I was what I was looking at. You know, it was hardcore sex, and I think that's that was what made the first impression on me. As I keep on mentioning, I mean, you've had an incredible career in the industry over two decades. Thinking back, what has been one of your most memorable shoots? The hundred and one girls. Oh yeah, because that whole. Yeah, the 101 Girls was probably the one process where I was I was picked because I was a confident performer. The girls liked me, and you know, and I already had a good reputation with Vivid, you know, for the Miss Marks neighborhood. And they had they let me have some say in it, you know. Um, they they kind of brought me on as a producer as well, um, and but. But performing, it was a, a bit of a challenge because how do you satisfy 101 girls? Because that was always my job, right? Satisfied. They were satisfied. The viewer would be satisfied. It was a win-win. <laughs> Remember? I want to I want to help a production, not hurt mm-hmm. a production. So it was like, okay, how do we do this? And, you know, the person who did it before me was uh, uh, Chet, uh, John Doe. Correct. And John, and John Doe, I remember talking to him and he was complaining at how many... STDs he had caught. Not, not well, that he had caught an STD and he had serious uh, skin irritation on his dick because he didn't use condoms. So he fucked 101 girls and didn't use any condoms so he caught shit. And his dick was irritated and he was, he was so angry after that. He said, I would never do that again. And, and I came along, yeah, I'll do it. And then by this time, they were like, well, we're going to have, and I maybe it was because I was black, I don't know. Maybe it was because John had mentioned that. But they said, well, you're going to use condoms for every girl. So I had to perform, and I had to use a different condom for each girl. And and at first, I thought I was going to be fucking all these at once, but we broke it down. We had 30 girls one day. We had 33 girls average, about 30 girls a day. And we and we did them as they were done in the makeup chair and had done their photographs. It wasn't like we all sat down and said, okay, you're always going to do it. There wasn't no rhyme or reason. It was like whoever was done first, come in, throw her in the scene. If we had three or four girls done at the same time, put them all into the scene. And, you know, shoot that batch of girls. And if there was only one girl, then do one girl. And if you had five girls, the most girls I ever did at one time was probably five. And every batch was different. And I, and I, and I don't want to say batch. You know, girls are like, you know, fucking, you know, chocolate chip cookies, you know, coming out of the oven. But <laughs> yeah. 
it was it was it was basically like you know I got five girls, one black, two white, one Asian. Okay, because we tried to do all black girls. I don't know what the hell they were thinking. That I think initially they were thinking interracial. This is what 1999, 98, 99. You know, interracial was yeah. growing. Yeah. For the listeners was, that, that may not know what we're talking about, this is a Vivid's production, world's luckiest black man. Black so man. check it right. out if you haven't. So so they were like, well, we're gonna have you know 101 black girls. Well, there wasn't 101 black girls in this fucking porn business. So. Once they I don't got think to there's like 101 girls, right they were, now. They were like, huh? I don't think there's 101 right now. No, there isn't. <laughs> I, and right. You know, there's a handful at any given time. So they said, well, we're going to bring in some white girls. And I was like, yes. Thank you. <laughs> and I was like, bring in some variety here. Bring in some diversity. So once they started bringing in all these, and they were, I guess they were kind of surprised at how many girls were like, yeah, I'll do it. But I had a lot of girls that I had worked with. They brought us some white girls that I definitely had worked with already, but then they brought in a bunch of girls that I that I had never worked with, so that was interesting. And then they brought in some of, then they started bringing in some of my some of the girls that I really really truly liked. So what I what I came up with was this thing where I started telling them, okay, I want out of if you're going to give me three four girls because you can't it's, it's hard to stay aroused when some of these girls you're into and some of these girls you're not into, and they're all watching. They're all watching the reaction of the other girls. So they're like, are you are you more into that girl than you are into me? I had to, so I, I was trying to not have favoritism. So what I did was, if there was a girl that I really wasn't into, I would do her first while looking at the girl that I really, really want to fuck. Mm-hmm. And, you know, off, to, off to, in the corner of my eye. Mm-hmm. So I... So I made sure that, okay, I'm going to start with this girl, but I really, just so that I can work through these next two girls so I can get to her. <laughs> and I, I was, that's what got me through 101 girls. That technique. That whole experience. Yeah, that technique of like, of, of, of just working with so many girls in this, in, you know, in this time frame and trying to be professional and also trying to, um, you know, trying to, you know, satisfy mm-hmm. so many women, you know, because I felt like that was my job. You know, I just felt like that was my job, you know, perform, but satisfy, you know. So, you know, half of my job was to keep an erect penis, but to perform to make sure we got these girls, you know, shot. But it wasn't to, it, but it wasn't to like give any girl any less attention either. You know, give them all that attention that they wanted. And you know, and some of them got a few seconds, and some people got a few minutes, just depending on the chemistry. You know, I stayed true to that. But that whole experience was like, you know, that was a, that was probably my biggest challenge at the time in that industry. It was, you know, I feel like I should have won the male performer of the year that year too. To be honest with you, I think I got robbed at ABN. But, you know, so be it. Yeah, man, that was an incredible production. Can you go a little bit into the behind the scenes of that? Like, how long does a shoot like that last? Because obviously what's seen, like the final product, is, you know, maybe two hours. So how long did it take for that production to film? You know, because it's 101 women. 
Um, it took us three days. It, it's, we started like about eight, nine in the morning. You know, I didn't have to do anything, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and we probably started shooting my, the first girl. We were out of makeup by like 10, 30, 11. And we'd film to about seven, maybe eight that evening. So it was like a 12 hour day, the first two days. And then we realized that we needed more girls. And so we had to, we had to regroup. We had to, you know, get a bunch of girls full of tested and signed up and then we scheduled another day the following week and then we came in there and we just knocked it out and uh, it was good i need that little break because i was exhausted i mean you're doing that some I mean, you know the, the, the one challenge you got is pop shot I mean, you gotta exactly. get some pop yeah you gotta give a few pop shots off throughout that whole thing and um i'm using condoms per girl you know that that sensitivity is 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 um reduced by every every time you come, mm-hmm. by every time you fuck someone, you know, by the by the by the time of the day, how long you've been performing, you know, it dissipates. It starts to get less and less and less. And so, you know, to keep that stamina up, you know, you had to I had to space out my pop shots and recovery time. And um, so that that's where you played a lot of that time into. But we would knock out, you know, three four girls at a at a time and just boom 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 get it done. I mean, everybody was focused on getting a shot. And they, it was really my call on, you know, when I was ready and when I wasn't. So, but I tried to, you know, expedite things as quickly as possible. Yeah. You know? Were you naturally a multiple popper? Were you someone that could easily, you know, get ready and, and pop again? Or how was that for you? You know, having to shoot it over the span of, you know, a couple of different shoots and uh, with so many women and you have to sort of spread the pops out. I am, um, I, w- I was always a multiple, multiple popper. I'm still a multiple popper. Um, I, you know, you gotta understand this is probably before Viagra. So I, I didn't have any sexual enhancements or pills or AIDS or anything like that. It was all mental. It was all lube. You know, and it was all the girls, you know, every girl did something different. So I, I just, those things came into play, you know, it's, it's psychologically, it was a challenge physically, you know, it was challenging, but the reward was we did, you know, and I, I haven't, to this day, I have not watched the movie completely. I've seen little bits and pieces of it and you know, I just, I, I was, you know, I was smothered in the sea of women, man. It was like, it was like a harem. That's what it was. The theme was it was a harem. And um, I actually came across the artwork like a week, two weeks ago. So I posted it online. Mm-hmm. But I was. Mr. Marcus was getting was, his genie on. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I feel like, I feel like it was one of those experiences that nobody else, I think it was John Doe, Mr. Marcus, Eric Everhart. And Bobby Vital, we're the four guys who did the luckiest series. Wow, man, that's awesome! That's crazy. Throughout your career in the yeah. industry, what has been one of the funniest things that has ever happened to you on set? Funniest. It wasn't on set. It was more like an experience. I was in, was in Cannes and we were filming on this boat. It wasn't a big yacht or nothing like that. It was a big enough boat where you could fit like seven, eight people comfortably. And we were filming on the boat or the, or the, the bow of the boat. And um, I'm fucking this girl and I go stand up. And when I stood up, there was these kids 
literally on the beach. About five or six of them. About four girls and seven of them. Four girls and like three guys. Kids. And I remember the, the boys laughing like, oh my God, look at And the girls go like, their mouths just dropped. All of their mouths were just dropped. <laughs> and I remember standing up and the girls stood up and she was a white girl in France and both. It was like an interracial thing. And here's this black dude fucking this girl on the boat and these kids see it. And I was like, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know. <laughs> I, I didn't know the impression that was made on them, if there was one. But You gave me, them I, life I, lessons, Mr. Marcus. Yeah, yeah, they had me cracking up. That's too yeah. funny. So from the funny to the embarrassing, has anything embarrassing ever happened to you on set? Um... Hmm. Well, I, I used to think about the whole syphilis thing. I mean, that was, that was kind of embarrassing because, well, you know, we'll get we're gonna get into that, yes. But uh, so hold off on talking about that. <laughs> right. There's a whole um, section about that, Mr. Marcus. <laughs> uh, I think I think my initial embarrassing moment, man, so many. <laughs> Um, man, I, 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 I I'm sorry. You know, you know, these things come to me like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really know. I mean, I, I, I guess I was mm, trying to think. I'm going through my head right now. I'm trying to think what kind of experience have I had where it was super embarrassing. On set. Mm. I don't know. I'm drawing a blank, man. I'm so weird. Um, well, you mentioned that there were a lot of things coming into your head. If you want, I mean, you can mention, uh, you know, a couple of different experiences that you've had on that maybe were a bit embarrassing. I mean, this is, I don't know if this is falling in embarrassing, but I remember we were shooting an orgy once, mm-hmm. and the vice, the vice squad came in to arrest everybody because we were supposedly filming in a in a in a neighborhood, and we didn't have a permit or something, and we were filming next to like a little preschool. Wow! But I remember, yeah, I remember, but that all. But, come to find out the light the preschool wasn't even licensed to be shooting in the in the neighborhood to have a preschool in the neighborhood or it was a daycare so they got their license revoked but they're the ones who called the police the police came and you know we're and we're all you know we're naked luckily i had just finished shooting so i had my pants on but i remember uh byron long was standing there and his dick was just hanging out and one of the uh one of the officers there was like two female officers and I remember they came in there and they were like, had a gun pointed at them. They were like, you know, put your hands behind your backs and, you know, and they didn't know what to do with his dick. (laughs) (laughs) And it kind of like, it kind of threw me off, you know. That's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. That was probably more embarrassing for Byron. Probably more embarrassing for the cops. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
That's too funny. Dave got deadly weapons, and he's got a deadly weapon as well. But I'm bumped. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it's embarrassing. It's probably maybe coming too soon. Coming before the scene is over. You know, that's happened to me several times. Um, not being able to get an erection is probably embarrassing. Um, getting caught fucking the makeup artist was probably a little more embarrassing to her. Mr. Um, Marcus was getting it in. <laughs> I tried to. There you go. Hey, you know she's gotta she gotta help fluff it up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? You mentioned that you've uh, shot around the globe. Uh, so what I'm curious to ask you is, where's the most public place that you've uh, shot a scene in? That you've been in a scene? What's the most public place that you've had sex in a scene? Most public? Uh, on the side of a road. Um. Up in, damn, I think Lancaster. We were filming up there at um, Wicked. You know, Wicked has like all the fucking, fucking pool in the world, right? Wicked can do anything they wanted to because they got the money to. They, I remember they hired two highway patrol, CHP, you know, black and whites, full on CHPs to block the street. They brought in this water truck. Excuse me. It was a water truck, and they pulled the water truck off the side of the road, and I was driving the water truck, and I was, and I was supposed to fuck um, Julianne, and me and Julianne are having sex on this water truck, on this highway, and and the higher patrol have locked the street off so that no one can come and see what we were doing, and I, and that that was very public, very open, very uh like. Like it was weird to look off and see the higher patrol. Like the, the two cops were sitting on side, uh, sitting on top of the car watching us, and one of them was like a, a white female higher patrol cop. And I remember making sure that if I'm gonna, I'm performing not just for the cameras, but I was performing for her <laughs> specifically. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Marcus gets the pussy everywhere. That's so funny. <laughs> It's true, man. Okay, so we've talked about the um, the funny, the embarrassing, the most public. Let's talk about the craziest. What's the craziest thing that you've had to do in a scene? Besides, I guess, fucking on top of a water truck. <laughs> um, craziest. Man, this was pretty early on in my career. This was, this was a sign that I was getting into like some really crazy shit. Anabolic always anabolic gangbangs always got like crazy scenarios, you know. Yeah. We shot in we shot in the LA Coliseum, you know, we shot in a uh, uh, a custom car shop once. We shot man, we shot up in this on this ranch several times. But the one thing was we shot out in this open field like out in Paris, California. And the the, the girl that they hired, she parachuted from a plane and she landed in the field. We were, we were like, we were on a chain gang. So we were all wearing prison uniforms. We were on this bus and where the sheriffs had taken us out to this field to go work out, to go, you know, work on the field. And we, in the middle of the field, this girl lands in a, on her parachute and we ravaged her. We fucked the shit out of it. <laughs> so they spent 
they spent the week before all of that. You know, she went out on tandem jump and she was just doing her thing, you know, learning how to do the parachute because this time she was going to do it by herself. So I remember, you know, they took it out to the field and the field was like super wet because like, I guess it was like, it was, it was a muddy field and it was like, so we're trudging around in this fucking mud and you can't really move because this mud is almost turning like into quicksand. Not quicksand, but like mud sand. It was just, you, you literally couldn't walk, you know? And, um, and I remember she landed and most of us guys were stuck. Like we couldn't get to her. <laughs> so she lands and she's all like, oh, you know, you know, doing her little acting of like being, you know, help me. You know, yeah. And, you know, and then we're all like, we're trying to, <laughs> we couldn't move. Oh, wow. Because the mud was like so, so like sluggish, sluggish, sluggish like slug. It was like sludge. And, um, yeah, it was like sludge. And it was like the worst shoot because, you know, we, we, you know, we couldn't really move. We couldn't do any positions. There was no, there was no couches, no beds, no nothing. It was just this field. <laughs> but we had and to, I think nothing we sexy about the mud. Nothing. But that's, but that's, but that was anabolic. Anabolic didn't give a fuck about it. It was sexy or not. They just, they thought the wow factor. Yeah. Was more, right. Now, it would have been cool if she would have landed directly on someone's dick. Now, that would have been something you to know, see. I think Chris, if he could have got that, Chris was the owner of Anabolic. If Chris was able to get that, he would have loved it. You know, but it never happened. Yeah. That's too funny, man. As I keep on mentioning, you've been in the game for over two decades, and the reason I keep on mentioning that is because, I mean, that's an incredible feat, man. I mean, there aren't that many performers out there that can claim such a, I guess, a veteranship in the game right now. So, since you have been in the industry for over two decades, I'm sure that you've developed a lot of really great and close friendships with some of your fellow performers, male and female. So, I'm just kind of curious to ask... Who are some of uh, Mr. Marcus's friends in the game? Um, probably Lexington Steele, um, Sophie D, Julian St. Jacques, uh, Craig Days, Derek, Derek Dozer, those are crew guys, um, Marcy Hurst over at Vivid, um, female-wise, Probably Heather Hunter is to talk to her a lot. Um, uh, Mark Stiegler. Uh, Tommy Gunn. Um, Mr. Pete. Um, uh, Mark Anthony. Uh, that's crazy, too, dude. <laughs> Cause yeah, I worked with so many, but you know, like like friends, friends, like people that I, I talk to mm-hmm. when I see them, I'm happy. Todd Blatt, he uh, runs a production company where he he does sales. Todd Blatt, but he's a, you know he's an OG in the business. Um, I mean, I don't know. My it ranges from performers to crew to company owners. You know, good stuff, man. And now Poppy Chulo. And now Papa Chulo. Most Def, man, yeah. <laughs> Throw you in there. <laughs> Most Def, man. You're my wingman, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's true, there. Yeah, that's true. 
Absolutely, man. Okay, so now it's time for the big question. I'm sure this is a question that a lot of your hardcore fans and supporters, those that have been following you throughout these 20 years, are dying to know. So the question is, can you fill the listeners in on how much Mr. Marcus is packing? Um, I'm holding on to it right now. It's about, it's about nine <laughs> inches. Weighs about a pound. And, um... Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Mr. Marcus Dunn said that he's holding on to it right now. I'm sure that'll really, excite yeah. some of the listeners. Good. Get going. Get ready. There you go. Take, so take into the bedroom with you. <laughs> well, we'll be talking about how they can take you into the bedroom in just a couple of questions, but focusing on what you're uh, holding on to right now. When did Mr. Marcus first realize that he was packing something special? Uh, when girls would like, like they would like suck it, and I wouldn't really have to tell them how to suck or, or, or even why. They just wanted to. So I figured there must be something about it. To like, I always thought maybe it fitted. It wasn't too big. It wasn't too small. It was just right. So it kind of worked out, you know. And when it came down to sex, you know, it was just wasn't too big, wasn't too small. There you go. So it was always, it was always just right. <laughs> you got that Goldilocks cock. Yeah. I do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> We've mentioned the pop shot a couple times, so do you do anything in particular to maintain a consistent pop shot? Are you the type of person that, you know, sort of watched what he ate and made sure that he ate certain things, made sure that uh, he abstained from stuff before a scene? Like, how did you make sure that you always had a decent pop? You know, I, um, I would, I would always work myself up into some kind of arousal before I did the scene. You know, look at magazines, go to the mall, flirt, girl watch. You know what I mean? Just start to, like, come up with fantasies in my head. That would start the process. My eating habits, eh, they range from healthy to not healthy. I mean, that's what everybody. But I tend to eat, I tend to drink a shitload of milk. I drink more milk than, than cows can make, I think. I, I love milk. I drink milk daily. Um... It's just one of those things for me. Uh, maybe that has something to do with it. I never really stopped to see if it did or didn't. But I think the milk has helped keep me healthy over 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 a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, the calcium healing. You know what I mean? I, I just feel like that's probably played a, played a part but medically. Or have I looked into that specifically? No. But that's the only thing I've ever done consistently was drink a lot of milk and work out and keep the fantasies as real, as as as, as creative as possible. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned sort of like, uh, you made some sort of like, you know, off-the-cuff remark about, you know, going home with the fans. And there is actually a way for the fans to take Mr. Marcus home. You are one of the few male performers of color that actually has a very popular, and when I say very popular, I mean incredibly popular adult toy line and it's not just adult toys but you've got adult products i mean there are sort of um i guess it's like lubes and and flavored stuff that people can use in the bedroom and all that kind of stuff so you actually have an entire line it's not just a singular toy so 
How did you get involved with uh, doing adult products? Um, that's funny because I just talked to them this, this before I talked to you actually because I was telling them you know 2015 let's let's pump the lineup let's come up with a, a whole new line of stuff and so I just talked to them this afternoon about that. Um, they, I can't. I think it came out of um, a, a female sales approached me about coming out. Oh, I remember what it was. <laughs> Uh, it was a production company that I worked for, Video Team, and they had put out, I did a movie for them, and then they, you know, they took the movie, and I was on the box, and they took the box, and then they came out with this, they stuck it, they stuck my face on it, on the packaging of a, of a dildo. And I remember somebody telling me, hey, I bought your dildo. And I'm like, you bought my dildo? I don't even have a dildo. And then they showed me, they said where they bought it, and so I went there, to the adult store and there I was on the cover of this box for a dildo and I was just like that's fucked up because I didn't get in no money for that and I don't know what made me think like that but I'm thinking business wise don't isn't that what they do in this industry you know they mark capitalize off your likeness right so I went to video team like what the fuck and they didn't have no answers they're like oh it's too bad you know it's already done it's made sorry can't get you no money for it they maybe gave me a, a few hundred dollars or something just to go away well that was always a goal of mine so when I was approached by the sales the female sales person and she said yo I think you should have your own dildo and she said you should call a peace company and when I called that company you know they were like interested because I hadn't had anything on the market and actually they were the ones who had put out that dildo <laughs> the the one with my likeness on it they had put that out and they said well this way we could do it officially and, you know, we can make some money, we, we can thrive, we can do more things. But, well, I got the bright idea to look into their competition and see maybe if the competition would offer a better deal. And and I went over to Doc Johnson, and Doc Johnson put a deal. And the percentage points weren't that much more. And But the sales guy was really sincere about it. And then I just happened to one day go there for a meeting, and everybody that had anything to do within the toy industry was over at Doc Johnson. Even the other company that I went to, which was Topco, Topco's owners were there at Doc Johnson. So I feel like, well, Doc Johnson must be the the, the pinnacle of it. He must be the the paramount. This is the one that's at the top. They're the guys that fuck with. So I signed with them, and we came out with a bunch of different stuff. And I also wanted to see more black faces on these sex toys because it wasn't you know you go in there now and it's predominantly white. I just thought there was. You know, I think when you are, when you're, and you're of color and you're walking into a sex shop and you look at the toys, you kind of want to buy some things that are marketed specifically to you, you know, that maybe connect with you on a, on a more, on a more personal level. So I thought that that would be a good opportunity for me to develop stuff around that line, develop things with that in mind. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good thinking. And I mean, you, don't have just one dildo out i mean there are a couple different styles there's you know a vibrating one there's one that you can put in a harness there's also different products besides the dildos i mean there's you know like the fluffer pussy and there's also the uh the penis pump and as i mentioned there are other sort of like lubes and that kind of thing so how did you go from just having a popular dildo to having multiple dildos and as well as other products 
Um, well, you know, Doc Johnson creates a diversity of lines, and um, some of those products they just thought that I'd be suited for, um, that my likeness would help enhance the sales. So some of those products were already developed. They just marketed them differently. But the, the, the dick was probably the one mold, the one thing that was authentic and original. Because I came in there to do the mold, and I came in there by myself. And I walked in there, and I'm like, okay, you know, how do we do this? And so you get a hard-on, you take this little picture, it's filled with this white, really cold, like, um, clay almost, liquid clay. And you'll put your, your you'll put your penis in there, and you'll keep it in there for so it makes an impression. I'm like, okay, no problem. How long so do you I have to? Like, I, how long do you have to stay hard for to make the impression? Well, that, that's the catch. You know, you got to stay hard for at least a good minute or two while your while your dick is inside this thing to make the impression. You know, salad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I got the erection, I stuck the thing in there, and immediately I put my dick in there, my dick shrunk. Cause it was cold and it was, it wasn't a nice warm hot pussy. Yeah. <laughs> so it shrunk. And so we didn't get the good impression that we were trying to go for. And they said, you want to try again? And I got it hard again. And same thing happened. They said, and I said, well, you know what? Here, I got a better idea. Let me come back in a day or so. I'm going to bring a girl. I'm going to bring a fluffer, and we'll do it that way. Exactly. So you like, need yeah, some, like, good pussy to eat while you're doing that or something. Right, right. I need, it. I need some inspiration. So I I just happened to work with this, this girl, this black girl that was, I can't remember her name. I wish I, and, you know, maybe, I, I'll try to remember. Cause I, always, I, always, I used to always mention her and talk about this. Cause when it happened, I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. I, I talked her into doing it for me, but the day of the shoot, she had a friend with her. So both of them, I had two girls instead of one. And so one of them, so they're both sucking my dick. So I got this amazing heart on. <laughs> and so I, you know, as my thing was put inside it, they're both making out with me, kissing on me, rubbing on my chest. Just they just helped the process. So that, that mold came out of that. And it was authentic and it was real. And it was like, and it was out of pure inspiration. And so I'm proud of that just based off of the fact that you know, it wasn't that fake. Because they, the first mold that we did said, oh, it's fine. We, we'll take this and we'll add, we'll add an inch to it. And we'll, don't worry, we'll fix it in, you know, when we, when we do the manufacturing. And I was like, no, nah, that's not good enough. You know, that's not good enough. That's not, I didn't come all this way to fake that too. You know what I mean? Like, to fake that? Like, why? Why when we can get the real thing, when I can get something genuine? And that's what we got. There you go. So, listeners, if you cop the Mr. Marcus dildo, you got Mr. Marcus standing at full attention right there. Right, right. The way of putting that. You're welcome. So, as I've mentioned, your sex toys, the line is incredibly popular, even still to this day. I mean, after all of the controversy that happened, it's still incredibly popular. So, do you see yourself expanding the line? Do you see yourself uh, creating other toys, other products, other adult products? I do. I do. I do. I think, um, I think that was the whole point of my conversation with them earlier was to say, hey, you know, I, you know, don't give up. They, they didn't give up on me either because when I, after everything that was going on, 
you know, I was I was in some really uncomfortable positions with uh, in in business wise with people, and you know, and I went to Doc Johnson and the owner, um, um, uh, Braverman, Ron Braverman, came over to me and shook my hand and said, "Yo, we're we're behind you 100." percent I'm like, "All right, good." And Chad, his son, same thing. You know, they were like, "Yeah." I mean, he's he's made some really he, he, there were some things we didn't agree on as far as products because I just thought they were pretty generic and just didn't really, they weren't, they didn't really expand the vision that I had. And, you know, and I think he learned, you know, I'm resilient. I'm determined. I'm not going anywhere. You know, everybody likes a good, everybody likes a good comeback story. So I want to give him that. I want to give, I want to give one of the best comeback stories in porn history. And I think coming out with, with better toys and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, a stronger vision is part of that process. And I think the toys are very important about, very important to to the successful comeback story. Definitely. I couldn't agree more, man. I think if anybody can make a big splash and come back again into the adult industry, it's you. Thank you. You're welcome, I man. That. I do too, man. I a hundred percent. I can see it. I can see it happening. And uh, you still have the incredible support of your fans. I mean, the fans love you. Uh, you know, for those out there that don't know, I mean, Mr. Marcus is incredibly popular on social media. He's one of the performers that, at least the male performers out there, that has an incredible following. I mean, he's got thirty point four k followers. That's a crap. And I don't even put, I don't put no hardcore stuff on my, on my feed, my timeline. I don't, I don't, I, I, I get, I got so much content I could put on there, so much sex shit that I could put on there. I probably would double my followers if I just did that. But I, I also took it on as a, as a personal challenge to try to, to be sexual without having to be explicit. Yeah. And, and I thought. And I and I have a lot of followers that are mainstream that I that are friends of mine that that I totally respect. There's a few that I know that are, that are just just people that I that I genuinely are friends with, and and I don't want to flood their timeline with you know shots of me fucking some girl in the ass. I just don't want to do it. <laughs> so I, I tend to think of those things when I'm when I'm on social media. I try to be more about just life, you know, and yeah. some of my in my days but not so much about the porn. I even thought about, and I probably will create a separate Twitter account that's just explicit material all the way, you know? And that way I get those people that are looking for that, what they want. But, you know, totally, but it's totally a, a hardcore Twitter pick. I always thought the Twitter was going to come and crack down on all that, but they never have, and I don't think they ever will. So you can get away with it but if you're going to do it, you might as well do it in a way where you can market it and 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 funnel it into a way where you can benefit from it financially as well. So. Since we're talking about the toys, I've got to ask. I mean, you have an incredibly popular adult toy line. What's it like knowing that you're going to bed with uh, several of your fans on a nightly basis? <laughs> Good way of putting it. Um, you know, I, I, I like, you know, I've gotten pictures from people saying, hey, we bought your dildo. You know, is this really you? Is this really your dick? And I'm proud to say, yeah, because of the story behind making it, you know, so different and so unique, but authentic and original, true. So, yeah, you got something that I 
that I'm really, I stand behind 100%. And if they enjoy it, and it, and it brings them enjoyment, and they can, and if they can, it, it makes them feel as if I'm in the bedroom with them, then then that's, that was the goal. Then we achieved it, success. Sounds good, man. Well, unfortunately, we've come to the end of the interview. We've run out of time, but I still have many more questions for you, Mr. Marcus. Mr. Marcus, are you willing to come back for a part two so that we can chat all about some of the serious issues in the industry, about race, about uh, condoms, about uh, you know the, the big uh, story that happened with you a couple su- summers ago uh, involving syphilis? Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, you know, I hate man. that word, by the way, too. I really do. Which one? <laughs> Syphilis. I hate that word. I'm well, just so not. <laughs> we'll be talking about why you hate that in part two. So, listeners, stay tuned for part two. But, Mr. Marcus, I certainly want to thank you so much for doing this part one of the interview. Before we end the show, though, I do want to give you the chance to allow the listeners and the fans out there that are tuning in to find out how they can follow you. Where can they find you on the web? Hook them up with uh, social media, etc. Uh, you can find me on uh, AKA Mr. Marcus on my Twitter page, AKA Mr. Marcus on Instagram, uh, and even AKA Mr. Marcus on Facebook. You know, and I, I came up with AKA because I figured there were so many, you know, people that I, when I tried to get Mr. Marcus, the only thing I was able to ever get Mr. Marcus was my website, but everything else was like everybody else already had Mr. Marcus. So I was kind of like out of frustration. I said, well, I'm AKA. How about that? And so. That's where, that's why everything's under AKA. Sounds good, man. Well, once again, Mr. Marcus, I want to thank you so much for doing this part one of the interview. Okay. Appreciate it. You're part welcome. one. Part two's coming soon. Stay tuned. Me and Papi Chulo, my wingman, we are going to delve into the more serious side of this industry and talk about things that I've seen change in the last 20 years. Absolutely, man. And listeners, I also want to thank you for tuning in to One-on-One with Poppy Chulo. Tune in for brand new episodes of One-on-One with Poppy Chulo every Wednesday and Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. You can download this episode and many more by visiting poppychuloradio.com slash archives. Registered users will gain access to the Poppy Chulo Radio archives of previously aired broadcasts. And with that, Mr. Marcus and I would like to wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. Good night. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to One-on-One with Poppy Chulo. To contact us with any of your questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com or leave us a voicemail at 305-515-8620. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash poppychuloradio and like us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. Be sure to listen again next week as we continue to showcase exclusive interviews with some of the adult industry's most popular male performers. This is Ben Patrick Johnson saying good night and have a wonderful week.